This is episode six of Motherboard. This episode is sponsored by our Kickstarter campaign, so huge thanks to everyone who gave, and by Heroku. Heroku allows your organization to build apps faster, deploy instantly, and scale on demand without managing servers. Gain the flexibility to deploy any language, any time, and to any scale. Learn more and sign up to get started at heroku.com. I'm Catherine Rotundo, and our guest today is going by a pseudonym, Gretchen. She is an independent consultant and has two kids aged 13 and 6. Hi, Gretchen. Hi. It's great to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah, thanks for, thanks for being willing to talk. So, um, so you're an independent consultant, and I'm curious um, what, you know, that's so, so broad, what areas do you work in or what languages do you use in your job or yeah, what are you doing yeah. most of the day? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I am an independent consultant. I've worked for large companies for the past, you know, 15 or 20 years, mostly, you know, public fortune 500 companies. And so in my consulting work, I'm leveraging a lot of the skills and knowledge that I obtained, um, throughout my career. So primarily I'm doing product management business operations, and go-to-market strategy. Wow, those are all things that I feel like I have zero skills in, so I'm really impressed. How did you decide to um, to be independent? Uh, so I, I got to a point in my career where the big company I was working at, it was, you know, I'd been there a long time and had, had a lot of good successes there, but it wasn't really uh, exciting me anymore to, mm. to go to work every day. As my children got older, there are a lot of responsibilities that grow uh, in time as your kids get older and they start to have activities and need more guidance specifically that you can't outsource in the way that you can outsource, you know, quote unquote, childcare. And so I decided to become independent so that I could have a little bit more flexible work hours, could have some at least a little bit of more say over the projects that I worked on and the projects that I didn't work on. And, you know, ultimately so that I could have that flexibility to be able to meet the needs of my family. Well, I think it's so great that you have the option of, of being independent and making sure that you get what you need. I also, I'm freelance and it, it's, it was such a scary thing to go freelance, but I did it for some of the same reasons. So I, I definitely understand how and when did you start thinking about working in tech? Uh-huh. So that goes way back to probably high school. I grew up in you know Northern California. And when I was growing up, that term Silicon Valley was actually pretty new and mostly referred to semiconductor manufacturing companies that were in, in Silicon Valley at the time. And so I always loved math and science in high school. And so I went to college, you know, specifically with the idea that, you know, I would do something related to mathematics and, you know, probably related to engineering. And so I was thinking about it even from the early days of that being engineering, being the predominant industry that I felt kind of surrounded by. That's impressive that you already knew you might want to work in that industry. When I was in high school, I had no idea. And so what sort of path did you take to get into tech? Yeah, so getting into tech was actually um, fairly straightforward. And I think that, you know, what I found was once I was in, I, I 
took a, a many different you know paths that were that were kind of unpredictable. But I went to college on the East Coast and I studied electrical engineering, computer science, and that was largely influenced by kind of what I knew from growing up as that being a real popular major and a lot of jobs being available back where I grew up, right, in, in Silicon Valley. And so I graduated with a master's degree and then came and took a job with, you know, one of the major employers in Northern California so as an engineer. So I it was fairly straightforward from getting into the industry. And so, and then getting from engineering over to the project management and business operations stuff that you do now was really a, sort of a factor of wanting different challenges in your work life. You know, it was a combination of many things, but I would say the very first job decision that I made when I graduated, you know, I had several offers all in technology companies, and that was probably the last decision that I made purely based on my career objectives. Hmm. So, you know, I took the best job and I and I took the best job in the place where I wanted to be, which was Northern California, because I had offers from equally good companies in, in other locations as well. And, um, you know, felt like this was going to be the best career trajectory. Then the next career decision that I made was based on family work-life balance and kind of family considerations. So I ended up getting engaged to be married to my college boyfriend three or four years after we graduated. And he needed to work in a different location. And so I had to make another job decision about what would I do in this new location. And it turned out that the, that the large technology company that I'd been uh, working for as an engineer had sales offices in, ah. in that location. So I, I actually moved from California to um, Northern Ohio and there were not, uh, I could not find any jobs in my field of engineering and in, in that geography in Northern Ohio at the time. And so my choices were, you know, surprisingly, I was offered a job in the sales division, which even to this day, it's difficult for me to believe because I had almost no qualifications for sales at all. <laughs> and in the hiring manager, I have to still, to this day, I have to give him a lot of credit for being very open-minded and for um, looking at me, you know, as someone who had a completely different background, but who was smart and eager to learn. And um, I'm, I'm very grateful for that opportunity. So that my choices were basically either staying with the same technology company and doing a different role in sales or changing industries entirely and doing something like management consulting or potentially fi finance or something like that. Mm -hmm. So so that was my first decision way back, you know, who knows, almost 20 years ago, probably. And that's how I entered sales. And it, and it ended up being fine. I mean, it was it was very difficult. Uh, tr it was a very difficult transition because sales and engineering have very little in common. <laughs> but uh, but you know, as as I mentioned, you know, I was young and smart and eager to learn, and I eventually figured it out and did very well in sales. And um, that actually led me my my experience in sales led me for the first time to see the value in actually studying about business. Because uh, when I talked to the customers, you know, I had designed this product and then I and then I became a salesperson for the same line of products. And when I was talking to customers, there were so many business considerations that had nothing to do with the sort of the speeds and the feeds and the technical capabilities of my product. And in trying to decipher all those things, 
uh, I realized the value of a business education and I actually decided to apply to business school. Ah, okay. I didn't realize that, that you had gone back to, to school for business. Yeah. Yeah. And so I did get my MBA and then from there took on more and more sort of business focused roles in technology. So I did many roles such as sales operations, product management, um, strategy, product marketing, you know, many fields like that where I was, you know, I remained very interested in technology and the technology products, but kind of leveraged my MBA degree to do these more business functions. Oh, that's fascinating. So uh, what were you doing when you had your first kid? So when I had my first kid, I was, you know, I was still working for this same large company in a sales capacity. And what was nice is that, you know, the, the one benefit of sales that, that I hadn't anticipated, most major corporations, even, you know, relatively small companies have sales teams in every major city. And mm -hmm. so I went into sales to move to Ohio and then ended up doing a couple of subsequent moves with the same company based, again, on, you know, my husband or myself, you know, either our desire to move to a new place or an opportunity that presented itself to him, I was able to actually do a, a different sales job at the same company out of a different major city office. And so, um, so that's what I was doing. I was actually back in California, still working in sales when I had uh, my first child. That's so great. <laughs> I've, I've relocated for my husband's job and, and not had that, not had that constant of, Oh, just keep working for the same company. So I think that's kind of amazing. It's a, it's a benefit I wouldn't have thought of, of, of working for a big company and one that has sales. Where were you when you had your second kid, which was a bunch of years later? Yeah. So basically after uh, my first child was born, we sort of settled back in California. And so I eventually left that company, did a couple of things and then, you know, ended up basically at another large technology company here in Northern California. And that's where I was when my second child was born. Okay. And were the maternity leave benefits something that you thought about when you joined either company or did you sort of uh, figure them out once you needed to use them. Yeah, I, I really became an expert in maternity leave benefits um, when I became able to use them. I would say for the first job, I, I hadn't been thinking about it at all. Although I joined a big company with a with a great you know sort of national reputation, and it turned out that they had pretty decent maternity leave benefits as well as you know I suppose as, as their you know kind of brand reputation would imply. And then the second company, I probably at least looked at the benefits before I joined that because I was probably thinking at some point I might want another child. Yeah. But I wouldn't say it was, a, I wouldn't say it was a major factor. And I would say, you know, the benefits were, the benefits were decent when I compare them to sort of what I'll say is the average of my peers. Now, when we look at other countries and things like that, you know, the benefits in America on average aren't as good. <laughs> and, um, and I think certainly there are, there are plenty of companies that offer, that make that an emphasis and offer great maternity leave benefits. And I didn't work for one of those, but I worked for some, you know, someone that would basically you go on short-term disability mm -hmm. uh, for some amount of time, and then you can take unpaid leave for, after the short-term disability is up, you can take unpaid leave 
and use your sort of vacation time to get paid during that unpaid leave time and so forth. So, so how long did you take off and was any of the time before the baby was born or did you work right up until your due date or your delivery day? Yeah. So, um, so the first one I worked right up until my delivery date, you know, it's, if you, if you don't have kids at home, you know, being pregnant and working is one thing. And then when you have little kids at home, being pregnant and working gets more challenging. I can imagine. So so my first one, I worked right up to the delivery day, did not have a problem with that. Um, you know, was very lucky health wise that I was able to do that. And with my second one, I did take some time off probably at least about a month beforehand because, chasing around after a little one and doing work, you know, when you're in your third trimester, you know, turned out to be more taxing than when I had my first one. And so I I just took the extra time off before and then took about three, three months or three and a half months off after the baby was born. So total of about four to four and a half months is what I took off for my second one. Okay. That's a good amount of time. And then once you went back, did you immediately go back full-time in either case? And and where did your kid go? Yeah. So for my first child, I did go back full-time after about, I probably took at least probably around four months off. And I went back full-time and I found a daycare provider who was a woman who ran a daycare out of her home. And I really liked that setup. I really liked the woman and her husband. And then they had hired helpers so that there was a good child to adult ratio at all times. And so I went with that for my first child. Um, and one of the things that is, I think, probably significant about that childcare choice is it, it was very convenient for the job that I was doing immediately, you know, after I had the baby. But then, you know, a few months later, I ended up changing jobs. I took some additional time off. I I started a new job. And even though this daycare wasn't convenient geographically anymore, I still kept with it because Mm -hmm. there's this sort of trust factor. Once you once this is another thing that, you know, I think all mothers have to deal with is that that trust factor. You are you may change, decide to change your work situation, but then you have to factor your childcare situation in addition. And so um, at that time, it was just cost prohibitive for me to, you know, have a full-time nanny come to my house. And so I just spent probably an extra 30 minutes a day commuting to out of my way to <laughs> drop my son at the, at the place that I trusted and then go to my new job. Yeah, but I can totally understand that. It's a, a lot to change your, your kid from one situation to another. So yeah, I've dealt with that too. And then your second one, I guess they were not so close together that it would make obvious sense to have both of them in the same kind of care, right? That's correct, actually. So my, my uh, eldest child had already started elementary school by the time uh, my second child was born. And when I went back to work with my second child. I actually, I was very lucky because I had, you know, again, I'd been at this second, this, you know, new company. I'd been there for at least three years before I went on maternity leave and kind of built up a a good reputation and some good relationships within the company. And so I was able to come back part-time, even though the company did not have an official part-time policy. So it was not sort of endorsed by human resources in any way. It was something that if you 
worked out a situation that, with your individual manager, then that was sort of the level of approval. And so I got very lucky because I do know that there were many other folks who would have loved that situation who couldn't work out a, a beneficial agreement with their manager. So I came back part-time. I worked part-time for a couple of years, and that was um, I still needed to utilize daycare for uh, my daughter, and then there was an after-school care program for my son because I, ha I needed to do the, the agreement was three full-time work days, and then I got two days off. Okay. During the week. And so, um, so I still did, did need to do sort of this part-time childcare to, to fill, to fill those three days. Did you find that being part-time when that wasn't the norm at your job had any effects on positive or negative on your perception within the team? Um, you know, I have to say that in this unique situation, I, I probably, I have to give a lot of credit to the manager who kind of tried as, as hard as he could to set me up for success, to make sure that my assignment was something that was achievable in a, in a part-time capacity and to, you know, make sure that the team, he set the tone for the rest of the team to kind of treat me as an equal peer. And so I really didn't have um, too many complaints. I would say that the, the trade-off that I had to make was, that the type of work that I was doing was not the most popular assignments that would move my career forward. Hmm. And, um, and that was a trade-off that I was willing to make. I was, I was pretty happy with the schedule that it afforded me. I was learning new things through the work that I was doing. You know, I felt a great sense of accomplishment. I was, you know, learning a lot more about the business, things that I hadn't, hadn't known previously. And so it was, it was sort of a, a trade-off that was worth it for me to, to do. And I, and I never felt, I never felt like any of my colleagues thought less of me. However, it was pretty clear that, you know, the work that I was doing was less strategic mm -hmm. in the part-time role than when I had worked full-time in the past. Right. And then did you later return to working full-time and then get more of those strategic projects back? That's right. Yes, yeah. I did. I, I, um, after a couple of years, you know, essentially the, the situation at work changed and, and the part-time option was no longer available to me because we had, you know, different management changes and so forth um, after a couple of years. And so I, I opted to go back to full-time. And then there was a process where I had to kind of consciously try to steer my career in the way that, you know, every, everybody has to do. But once I became full-time, it wasn't sort of automatic that the strategic projects came. I had to actively seek them out. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, I'm curious if uh, there were any other resources that you found really helpful when your kids were small. So, you know, finding a trusted childcare provider is, is huge. And that's the main thing. And I would say second to that, the, you know, the next thing that was very helpful was trying to get a community of other mothers within the company. And again, I think this is an area where having been part of a large company helped to some extent because they, there was so much variety in the types of folks that work there. Number one, there, there was a lot of variety. So I had some other colleagues who were in a similar situation to me who had, you know, a two working couple household mm -hmm. and young children. But even more importantly, I had some colleagues who were 
women who were working who had teenage children when my children were very young. Right. And that was a that was an extreme comfort to me. Not only to see to get sort of advice from them on, you know, oh, here's how it is down the road, here's here's what the future looks like, but also to just sort of know at a at a subconscious level that it was possible to make through this phase. I I saw all those women, any woman at my company who had worked full, you know, worked full time and had children older than mine, I saw them as this sort of, you know, role model that, hey, it's possible to get through this stage. Look, <laughs> these people did it and, and they seem to be succeeding. And in retrospect, I think that was one of the most important things to have. Yeah. Wow. I don't, I don't think I've ever had that. I'm kind of envious. Um, yeah. I, I think that, that those models matter. Yeah. And there were definitely smaller companies. I don't want to pick on smaller companies, but you know, you just, you just have fewer people to choose from. And there were definitely smaller companies that I'd worked for and worked with, you know, at different times in my career where, you know, I was the only woman in my role or, or there were very few people with children or there were lots of men with children and no women with children. So, um, so I've, I've been through several of those. And, and the one nice thing about the, the two large companies where I happened to be taking my maternity leave was that there were women with children working, children of all stages. Yeah. So. Well, focusing on the all stages part, have there been specific ages when your children have uh, required more from you or where their their schedules have required more that have been challenges for your work-life balance? You know, absolutely. I would say, you know, looking through the past 13 years, there are definitely these unexpected things that happen in everybody's family life that put a lot of strain. So mm. especially things like grandparents passing away or, you know, and, and they, I'm, you know, these are things that are pretty common to, to most folks. Like, you know, I think people are, are very lucky if they make it all the way into adulthood without having some kind of grandparent or, or family member pass away. Right. And it causes additional strain because, Frankly, when you're working and you have children, you're pretty much stretched to the limit. Yeah. And so any unexpected thing like that can put a real added strain. Um, additionally, kids go through phases and you can't always tell it's different for each child. Yeah. And so you can't always tell. So your child may, may go through a temporary phase where they're acting out or they're seeming, you know, depressed or they're. And, and it does require more attention and, and you have to sort of find the effort and the time from a seemingly empty, you know, well, yeah. <laughs> a lot of time. So I, I would definitely say that happens over the years, but the general trend has been that I think I alluded to this at the beginning, the older your children get, the fewer things you can really successfully outsource. Yeah. So in daycare, you know, I missed the time that I spent with my child, but, you know, she wasn't talking. And as long as you have someone who was nurturing her and feeding her and bathing her, you know, doing all the things with her. And I, I trusted that another person to do that, that was fine. And now as they're approaching the teenage years, it's really becomes, you know, a value system. You want to know who their friends are, what they're talking about when they're, you know, hanging out together many things that it becomes very difficult for you to outsource. You can always outsource the laundry or, you know, something like that or driving to and from, but those, those things that require, you know, your unique value system and the way that 
you know, your opinion on how to raise your child become, to me, they, they've become, you know, more and more prevalent the older the child gets, where you have to help them make decisions and reason with them. And um, you have to, you know, find the time to make sure that you're doing that. Yeah. And to, to have a close enough relationship with them, right? Like to oh. have the relationship where they're willing to talk to you about the problem that, that they need help solving. Um, That's correct. Yeah, I can, I can see that. So what are your kids' lives like right now between like their school day and extracurricular activities and how do they get from one thing to the next? Yeah. So they, um, you know, they're both in school now and they both are into activities. So they do sports and they do a little bit of music. And so I have pretty much outsourced most of the driving them to and from. Mm-hmm. But I have one of the advantages of being independent is I'm able to spend a lot more time kind of either volunteering or supervising or just being with them while they're at the various activities. So as an example, I've been coaching the baseball team for kindergarten through second graders for a couple of years now. Oh, wow. And it doesn't require a ton of skills and the practices are held at five o'clock or later but it's still a scramble. I mean, I'm glad that I have an independent schedule because, you know, frequently in a, in a regular full-time work schedule, it would be difficult to get yourself and your child in clothes that are good for playing baseball in by five o'clock a couple times a week. And so, yeah, so I've been able to do some things like that. They do baseball and what else, you know, soccer and, you know, in different seasons. And then they uh, learn music, either violin or piano, music theory, those, those type of things. Um, and so it, it's pretty busy. So, so we have someone who can help me bring them home from school at the appropriate time, whether it's three, four or five o'clock, depending on what their activities are at the school itself, and then take them to, if they need to be at a specific practice or a class or something, every day seems to be different in every season, the schedule <laughs> changes. So you have to constantly stay on top of it. And then on the weekends, we have, you know, these sporting events or music recitals or, you know, those type of activities almost every weekend. And so uh, we plan around those as well. Wow. It sounds like a whole lot of, of flexibility required of you. That's exactly right. Compared to when they were younger, the schedule was pretty much the same every day. I mean, for daycare, until they started, you know, on teams and music and things, it was pretty much... Eight to six, the daycare was open. And whenever you get off work, as long as it's before six, you go pick them up, right? Yeah. Um, and and th- this school age and the sort of wanting them to take part in extracurricular activities, it, it is more challenging because every season is different. You have some activities that are year-round but don't, don't go through the summer. You have some activities that are year-round and do go through the summer. And then you have these ones that the sports are generally just the fall, just the winter, or just the spring. And your schedule will change each season. Oh <laughs> my goodness! It's terrifying to hear about. I just I I will reflect that back. That as I as I think about how am I going to be able to do that? Uh, wow, that's that's a lot. It's a lot. Um, my goodness. But but you've found a strategy to do it, and part of that strategy is getting help, right? Not right. not doing it all yourself. Um, at least in terms of the the driving. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Getting, getting help is, is a really big part of it. And again, trying to be strategic about it so that when I'm not working, I'm spending my time doing things that as much as I can, that are kind of valuable time spent with my kids. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, to be fair to driving, I think driving can be very valuable time to spend with your kids if you if you can do it in a way that's not stressful, meaning that, you know, if it's not going to be stressful to leave work early and go drive your kids somewhere, <laughs> that time in the car is actually not a bad time to sort of talk and catch up. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, and this is more of a, uh, a remote work kind of question, but uh, did you say that you work from your home? I do. I Well, I... I have clients that are um, in, it's interesting. So in my consulting work, I have clients that are in uh, the Northern California area and also clients that are far away on the East Coast. And so I am fairly flexible in the way that I manage my time. So I do work from home to some extent, but then I do go into the office frequently for the clients who are local and then I will. Ha- I do actually have to travel for some of my work, which means, again, just like any business travel, you know, arranging for things at home and making sure that my travel never conflicts with my partner's travel and, yeah. you know, all those type of things. So I, so I will travel occasionally as well where I'll be gone for usually three to five days to the East Coast. And so it's, it's a mix of all of that. But I do enjoy the ability to work from home uh, at least occasionally. All right. Well, so this is sort of my, my wishful question. I'm hoping the answer is yes. Is it possible for you to get any work done when your kids are home? Mine is five and, uh, it is not, it is not. He just constantly wants my attention. So I can only work when he's out. Does that get any easier? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I would say, um, yeah, you know, with my six-year-old, I'm in the same boat as you that I, I wouldn't be able to. So I get most of my productive work done if I'm at home while she's at school. But I would say probably around 11 or 12, they start to get to where, you know, they just want to do their own thing in their room Mm -hmm. and, you know, or, you know, kind of on their own, they'll be on the computer or they'll be go out and play with their friends or whatever. So I would say if I, if I just had the 11, 12 year old, or if I project forward to when the youngest one is in that age range, I could probably get some work done because they're old enough to really understand. Don't bother mom, but it still wouldn't be, you know, it still wouldn't be a hundred percent. Every once in a while, they'd be like dying to tell you something. And they, they probably a 12 year old would listen first Mm. outside the door. And if it sounded quiet would, you know, knock and then come in and, you know, may or may not be interrupting you on a conference call, right? Just because they don't hear you talking doesn't necessarily mean that you're not (laughs) being interrupted. But I'd say anything younger than that, like anything 10 or younger, I mean, they wouldn't even think to listen first. They would just, as soon as they wanted something, come on in. (laughs) So So it'll be a while, but uh, that's okay. I have, I have childcare in the meantime too. Um, But yeah, it's uh, because I, I think that's kind of an interesting question for working parents too, um, you know, is remote work, can that be part of, of, of some people's solution? And for me, it, it definitely is, but my kid can't be around while I'm doing yeah. it. Yeah. I'm curious if there are skills that you use in parenting that you also use in your job or vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. I would say there's a lot of soft skills that you become good at in, uh, in parenting. So 
the soft skills are are more around patience, empathy, trying harder to understand the person in front of you is behaving in the way that they do because you you have to do that with your children. And once you start doing that with your children, it occurs to you that you know adults may have you know reasons that they're that they're behaving in ways that you don't expect as well. Mm. Um, and the funny thing that I that I learned through you know one of the funny things that I learned you know through the years of parenting is that with kids if they're if they're acting up it's probably because they're tired or they're hungry 90% of the time yes and I, it turns out with adults it's true probably like 70% of the time <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like a lot of adults are stressed out and they haven't gotten enough sleep and they you know might be working a lot and not paying attention to eating you know at a regular time and so if they're you know if they're low on I don't know what the, you know, kind of health related term is, but basically low on energy because they haven't eaten, then they, it will affect the way that they behave at work as well. So that was a funny observation that I carried from home. That is funny. There's actually a great book that I read that was written by a professor at Stanford called Mindset. Okay. And I think it's, I think the subtitle is the psychology of success or something like that. Okay. The new psychology of success or something, something like that. But the book is called Mindset. It's by Carol Dweck from Stanford. And they talk about, I'm going to forget the exact terms, but they basically talk about a positive mindset and, and sort of a negative mindset. And people don't necessarily realize what they're in. And her teachings have been applied equally to parenting, where I can go and see actually parenting groups who are having seminars and things that are based on this topic of, of the mindset work that she's done. And I've also been to sort of management sessions at these companies that I worked for that talk specifically about mindset and draw from the same book and the same research that she's done. So there absolutely is crossover. <laughs> oh, how interesting. I will be sure to put a link to the book in the show notes in case people want to check it out. So I guess we've already touched on this, whether you feel like being a parent has had any unintended effects on your career. And you already talked a bit about the trade-offs that you made and, and the fact that you are happy to make those trade-offs. Is, is there anything more you would want to say about that? Yeah. I mean, I think that, the, you know, the best situation that you can hope for as a parent is to make a trade-off that you're happy to do. I don't think that there's a case where people can really claim that they were able to do things with, without trade-offs because, you know, everybody does whether you have children or not. It's just that they hit you. They tend to hit you in a different way when it's when it's children that are requiring some of your attention. So I, th I would say that's the best case. And I would say in, in many cases, you might find yourself in a situation that is where it's not that, where you're, where you're making the trade-off, but you're, you know, you're not quite happy about it, but you're, you're doing it because you have to, or you don't, um, you're not sure what your other options are. And so, so I would say that, you know, one of the things I would tell young parents, parents with young kids who are hoping to continue their careers for a long time is to kind of keep that in mind. You know, there's always going to be trade-offs. And if you can focus on the ones that you're happy to make, uh, you're doing great. I <laughs> love if it. <laughs> you, if you sometimes, you know, don't have to, you know, sometimes you can't do it and you're going to have to make a trade-off that you're not happy about. But, um, but don't try to aim for something that's too far out of reach. Yeah. I guess it's the message. Don't expect that there's going to be a no, no trade-off answer to every situation. <laughs> because it probably, you know, won't happen. Yeah. So true. Do you have any secret weapons of, you know, like strategies that you've developed for making your, your life flow smoothly? 
Oh, you know, I think, you know, just for me, it's been all about, you know, keeping keeping that network of other moms and other role models mm -hmm. that I can look to that keep making me want to move forward. So now I have folks that I try to spend time with who have, you know, children younger than me and folks that are kind of in my same stage. And I'm always looking out for the folks who have children that are older than me too, because it, it kind of keeps me motivated, keeps me kind of thinking about, okay, you know, we just got to make it through this phase or, or this is a great thing that I saw somebody else do. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to imitate that in my career as well. Right. So I would say that's, that's the main strategy. I can't think of anything really more compelling than that. Well, I love it. And that is also the point of this podcast is to give women who are at some company who, who don't have role models to look toward sort of a, a virtual sense of, okay, there are women in tech who are doing this and they're, they're making it work and I can be like them. So thank you so much for being willing to talk about your experiences. All right. Thank you, Catherine. And, and good luck with the rest of the series. Thank you. Well, that wraps up this episode of The Motherboard. Thanks to Heroku and all of our Kickstarter supporters. Anyone who missed the Kickstarter can head over to motherboardpodcast.com support and help sustain the podcast. The podcast excluding theme music and sponsor reads is released under a Creative Commons license. To learn more, visit motherboardpodcast.com about. Last but not least, all views expressed on the podcast are individual opinions and not representative of any company. Thanks for listening. <laughs>